thoughts on it because it sounds like the, the interventions you're making, Claire, sound just like random words, whereas mix are kind of like cool sentences. So we're trying to send I'm, I'm more cool anyway. No, we're trying to send a few examples of sentences you said that were really good to try and get them in instead of random. Well, words. I didn't understand the bit where I said something like sounded really aggressive. Like disgusting, this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and I'm yeah, going, what was that about? That's what I mean, like that kind of random. Well, I can't thing. even remember me saying <laughs> that. I said something like insidious or something, <laughs> yeah. which is not actually no, a word I normally use. Insipid, disgusting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to kick off with you're both in the Dallas TDs for eight years. What's the story? What, why, what brings you over here? What's, what's no, all about? you're not going to start off with who we are. Oh yeah, so you're here uh, in the yeah. European audience. So I'll so say, so. yeah. You say, say hi. I'm Damien here now, <laughs> and I'm here with two renegades, well known in Ireland, but not really in Europe. Yeah. Something like that, you know. You, 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 you can give out your home address and your telephone number. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I wish I had my cup bottle now as well. We'd, uh, <laughs> did you get one as well? Yeah, yeah. Did you get one or did you rob one? No, I got one for being a delegate. I didn't get one nicked. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike beautiful. some people. They're beautiful. Some, some people that have stolen all property. The more proper, all the more precious. Oh, uh, yeah. We are already here. Oh, so, whoa. Um, whenever you feel it, you can, you can stop. <laughs> OK, thanks. Grazie. Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. Madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun on three occasions. I done well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, but not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? Well, hello and welcome to our brand new podcast, brand new episode of a brand new podcast. This is I Foresee Trouble with Daily and Wallace. There's your Daily and there's your Wallace. So <laughs> <laughs> we're kicking off a new podcast. My name is Damien Thompson. I'm a political advisor in the GUE NGL group in the European Parliament and I'm hosting today's episode. Um, but first, maybe Claire, Mick, tell us who these are. This is an international podcast, international audience. Go for it. Yeah, look, uh, which obviously uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an MEP from, uh, I got elected from Ireland South and from Wexford. Um, obviously, we have, um, we're now uh, in Europe and um, we're, according to the rules here, we're obliged to represent 500 million uh, people plus uh, across Europe. Um, so uh, we're here about uh, seven months now, seven and a half months. So, um, Obviously, some people uh, wonder why we are here, but uh, we can we can talk about that. Well, we were both members of the Irish Parliament for about eight years. Pretty well known in Ireland, but obviously people in Europe wouldn't really uh, know us. So we decided to stand in the last European elections because a lot of the work that we were doing in Ireland really started in Europe, be it on the key issues of militarism, the environment... Uh, all of those big decisions were starting in Europe. So we decided to come here to see could we try and, and make a difference at the start rather than at the end because the world that we live in is a pretty bad place at the moment and we think it needs radical change. So here we are. Well, I was going to ask you that question, but you took it from me straight away. So, <laughs> well, uh, tell us a bit about Independence for Change. What's, what's that about? Yeah. Independence for Change was a group that we set up uh, in tw before the election in 2016. Hmm. It was really about getting uh, extra resources uh, to employ more staff to do research. Yeah. And uh, it actually worked out pretty well. Um, at the time, in 2016, we got four people elected uh, under Independence for Change, the two of us and um, Tommy Brahan and John Collins. And then three others, uh, Maureen O'Sullivan, Catherine Connolly and Thomas Pringle would have joined our group uh, in the Dáil. So there were seven of us in the I4C group, even though only four of us got elected on it, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, look, we were uh, we were just we weren't a party, and uh, we, yeah. we went to we went to great lengths to actually uh, make sure that we weren't seen as a party. We were a group of independents of pretty similar uh, of views uh, on many issues, um, but uh, we were never uh, looking to promote ourselves as a party. Yeah. Uh, we were very much of the uh, the Groucho Marx school of philosophy, who said that. Uh, I had nothing to do with any party that had even had me as a member. <laughs> uh, we, were, we actually see parties as being part of the problem rather than Big part time. of the solution. Yeah. 
big time. And I think we did when we were in the doll. We tried to use the platform to shake things up a bit. And, you know, I think we did uh, to an extent. And uh, I think the recent election has shown that there is a huge space on the left for an alternative. So, uh, yeah, we're happy to be here and to try and stir yeah. things up here in the same vein as we did at home. And so you did your time in Ireland in the doll. You had a good chunk of time there. Any highlights, anything that you, you have to say about your, your time in the doll? In Ireland, yeah. Before you, came um, oh yeah. Look at, I mean, we we were we worked very hard, uh, as, and we we're actually working even harder out here. But uh, at home, we probably did a lot of stuff on uh, Garda corruption, um, a lot of um, stuff on um, the the abortion issue. Uh, Claire would have been more or less the champion of it for about twenty years in Ireland, and uh, we. We were probably the first to take it up uh, in the Irish Parliament after 2011, and uh, when it was still uh, topical and uh, a dangerous place to go. Obviously, uh, we've done a good bit of work on LGBT rights, um, NAMA, uh, which was, uh, without any shadow of a doubt, the biggest uh, financial uh, scandal in the history of the Irish state, and nobody wants to know about it. But it's uh, not only has it cost the Irish state more than 20 billion uh, but in actual fact it's at the root of the present housing crisis but people actually don't uh, mm. really understand uh, what's happened with construction obviously I spent my whole life in it I know where they buried the bodies and uh, NAMA is central to, the, to uh, the present housing crisis but look we were involved in an awful lot of different stuff um, we did a lot um, around uh, it's such a, a varied range of issues. I mean, maybe Claire can think of a few extra ones. Well, no, I mean, I think the first thing was it was a real privilege for us to be members of the Dáil and we really cherished that time. We like to think that we used it well. I would argue, and I often have, that Mick completely democratise the parliament by his sense of dress and the fact yeah. that you can't really hide him anywhere. But there was a big, people forget like that, it's only eight years since we went in, but at the very start, there was a concentrated campaign by the establishment to sort of... Uh, discipline members who weren't wearing suits and ties, who were wearing jeans and all of that. All that's gone now. And it's completely gone because of the stance that Mick took, you know, on that. Uh, and now normal people are in there. And yeah. to me, that's really important because we all know it was the people in suits who damaged the economy in any way. So from a simple thing like that to sort of popularising the idea that you can use the doll as a platform and a, and a place for whistleblowers. And we did that with Morris McCabe and yeah. John Wilson and the Garda issues. But I mean, I think we were kind of bold in that we always sort of had a very healthy disdain for the media. Um, and that's something that we'd like to continue here is that because the media are a huge part of the problem in society at the moment. So we don't pander to them. We do our own thing and people can take us or leave us as they like. So we took up a lot of issues, but we were very diligent, like in our parliamentary work, in our legislative scrutiny around issues like the uh, in terms of healthcare, maternal deaths. We brought in legislation to deal with automatic inquests in cases of maternal deaths. As Mick said, NAMA, there are so many issues. So it was a combination of sort of using the platform to highlight issues and then diligent scrutiny. And it was through that diligent scrutiny that we actually ended up here because we were both on the Justice Committee. Uh, it was weird, but I suppose it was a byproduct of the last uh, government, minority government, that both myself and Mick with the two Fianna Fáilers were actually, and Sinn Féin were a majority yeah. against the government on the Justice Committee. Most of the legislation came through here. Uh, and we were able to influence it. And it's pretty similar here as well. Then. So that's why we came here, because a lot of the stuff in Ireland was originating in the European Union. Yeah, it actually probably comes as a shock to people at home that uh, in the three and a half years that we were on the Justice Committee at home, over 50% of all legislation went through the Justice Committee. And we noticed that uh, over half of that was actually starting in Europe. And we were literally, OK, we were looking to... Uh, tease it around a bit, put in amendments, whatever. But the truth was that, generally speaking, the government of the day literally was just rubber stamping stuff that started in Europe. And we kind of thought to ourselves, you know what, we're actually not at the source of it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're here now. And people at home don't really get that. 
people, I mean, people still kind of say to us, you know, oh, why, why don't you come home? You know, uh, you'll be far more effective here. Well, I mean, listen, there's a whole lot of different reasons why they even think that, right? And it's not the fault of the people who think that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're actually not informed about mm -hmm. how Europe works, what it means, how it operates. Uh, because there's no media coverage of what's happening in Europe. Yeah. Now look at, I mean, we would have always argued that the media coverage of what went down the Dáil wasn't great anyway. And there's an awful lot of politicians attached to the whole Dáil circus. But generally speaking, um, they were more interested in tidbits and mm -hmm. uh, personal stuff rather than in uh, legislation, which mm -hmm. is the heart and soul of what we were supposed to be doing in the Dáil Éireann. And we were at the absolute heart of it uh, in the Justice Committee, and uh, we done we, we would have put over 90% of our energies into legislation. Mm. And the truth be told, uh, there's a lot of the media in Ireland couldn't spell legislation. <laughs> they never came to our committees to see what was happening. Yeah. And uh, it's not the space they go to. Now, you might ask, why the hell don't they come out here? Well, I mean, listen, you can't actually blame the politicians themselves for not coming out here. Uh, I mean, it's who they work for. And uh, they set the agenda. I mean, RTE, I mean, for all practical purposes, don't come out here. I mean, mm -hmm. Tony Connolly has covered Brexit, but I mean, uh, nothing yeah. else, you know I mean? Yeah, no one here even cared about right? no, Brexit, I mean, really, in the time we uh, were here. So, obviously, it was a big gig at home, and uh, it was a big gig. It was actually too big a gig uh, for the Fine Gael uh, Independent Alliance government, supported yeah. by Fianna Fáil. They talked about Brexit morning, noon and night, and actually uh, abandoned uh, a lot of domestic issues. Like, for example, I mean, I spoke... I think it's 11 times on the children's hospital in the last six months of my time in the Dáil. The children's hospital is a joke. Mm. It is costing about a billion more than it should. <laughs> and I actually explained to the, the people on the government side, obviously I came from the industry, so I understood, I understood what, what was happening, right? And the way the contract was done and the way it, sh the way it should have been done and the way it wasn't done. And they actually had, they had, they had, they actually had the uh, ability to actually revisit it and redo the contract without ending up in the courts with the contractor who was BAM. They could have done it. Mm. And it was a space they didn't want to go to because they didn't want the hospital not going ahead mm. during the next election. It was a scandalous decision. And the, the fact that this is going to cost the Irish taxpayer about double, about a billion euros more than it should, is a disgrace. Yeah. But it's a bit, it's the same thing, isn't it? I mean, that lazy media is the same reason why there's a problem with the disconnect between Irish citizens and the European Union. On the one hand, in all the opinion polls, people say, oh, we love the European Union. I mean, what does that actually mean? Because in the day-to-day -day stuff, people would say, oh, we don't hear anything for you anymore. I mean, we've been covered by the international media, Mick, because of his slagging off of Juan Guaido and calling him a, a gobshite. Me, in terms of issues on the Justice Committee with the Schengen scrutiny, issues I raised with a Bulgarian apartment scandal involving Irish homeowners. We've been picked up because, as Mick has said in previous uh, arena, at the back of every committee meeting, the international media are there, but there's no one there from Ireland. So mm. the message isn't going back home yeah. about what's going on here. And, and that was the same in the So he's talking about this healthy media disdain. Is that where this podcast is coming from, to try and fill that gap? Or is it kind of trying to communi uh, communicate a different message? What's it all about? Well, look, at I, mean, yeah. it, it, I mean, doing a podcast uh, does give us a platform. We want the Irish people. Uh, people might, listen, people say, oh... You know, you might be doing something on uh, addressing the fact that, um, uh, for example, uh, that the EU uh, has been abysmal in its relationship with Iran and Syria because of fear of the American backlash, a fear of sanctions from America. I mean, the Irish people might think, well, I mean, Irish, I, I get it on Twitter saying, oh, well, what's got that got to do with us? In actual fact, it has an awful lot to mm -hmm. do with us. And it has an awful lot to do with all Irish people, how, how Europe operates, right? And people actually don't, don't realise that every decision made in Europe nowadays, whether uh, of a, of a, a, whether it's to do with agriculture, whether it's uh, rights, human rights, civil rights, whether it's to do uh, with international affairs, it all has an impact. Uh, trade yeah. agreements, the whole lot. I mean, it all has an impact on the Irish people. And doing the podcast, uh, we would hope, uh, would give us a chance to connect with the Irish people about what we're doing out here. We're not, we, we're not oblivious to the fact that we got elected by these Irish people. Yeah. And we would like them to realise that we're actually doing uh, our best 
to actually make a difference out here in their interest as mm. well. It, yeah. It's only part of it, right? And we see it as an important part because we're talking a minute ago about our work in the doll and how poor the media were at dealing with it. But if you take issues like the public services card, which became a huge issue in terms of data protection violations, mandatory open disclosure in terms of the health, health services, uh, which erupted around the cervical cancer scandal. Both of us were spearheading that a year or two before it broke as an international scandal. We were calling it out as a scandal and the media didn't want to know. And then it's kind of like they discover it well down the road because they don't join the dots because they're only interested in gossip and all that. Mm -hmm. That's magnified a million times out here. And we're very conscious of a disconnect between... Irish people at home, even more so than the rest of Europe. And particularly now with Brexit, with the UK being gone, it's going to be a, an even bigger problem. We're completely, we're an island on the periphery of Europe mm. beside another island that isn't even in the European Union. So that has to be addressed. I mean, we're looking at here, we had mentioned it to some of the other MEPs that if we get a new government in Ireland, if we do, <laughs> if there isn't another general election and then we get one, that the new Minister for Arts, Heritage and the Gaeltacht needs to institute a sort of a, an Oireachtas TV for the European Parliament to bring that message yeah. home because that did. We were amazed when we went around the European elections, people saying, oh, we always watch it on telly, we love you on telly, and we're going, well, we're not on telly because RTE don't generally cover us. Yeah. But what they actually meant was Oireachtas TV because we speak a lot and we intervene a lot, and we do here as well. So, But the message isn't getting home, so the podcast yeah. is part of There is that. something on Europarl, some sort of report that they do. It's every Strasbourg, but it's a very small amount of coverage and it's very specific, just a few questions. It's not getting a prime time slot or anything. So it's not even taking it seriously. Yeah. Because somebody coming over here to visit once a month is not following the European yeah. Parliament. I mean, there's major legislation, be it on the one hand in the Envy Committee that makes on in the terms of whatever pesticides or, you know, climate action, all that to Libe, immigration, migrants, data security. And yeah. the rest. The truth be told, you know? right? I mean, you're involved in the environment, right? Yeah. And uh, the truth be told, uh, the work that my office are doing on environment and the things that, that I say at committee and in plenary is actually getting more attention in Europe mm. yeah. than it gets at home. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah absolutely. I mean, Claire re referenced there earlier, right? Um, there's, over, there's about 440 seats in the theatre that houses the Environment Committee. And there's about 140 TDs on it. You have 70 members of the European Parliament. Yeah. Yeah. We still call them TDs. We still <laughs> yeah. say we're going um, to the door. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the seats, there's a clamour for the other seats, right? And the media from all across Europe, except Ireland and England, were occupying them, yeah. right? And they're covering it. And it's, it's a massive issue. I mean, environment is the biggest game in town for the next five years. And while the Irish uh, do talk about it at home, um, they actually don't cover, for example, no. what we're doing here. And uh, we've done an incredible amount of work already and uh, been involved in a whole lot of different layers uh, on environment. But uh, look, it's not being covered. Listen, it's not the end of the world. Mm. We're still going to do our work. Yeah. But I'm just pointing out the fact that the European media are actually interested in what we're saying, mm. whereas the Irish are not going to that space. Yeah. And, uh, Do you think that comes down then to like media ownership in Ireland or what's the root cause of the lack of interest or lack of engagement with the Parliament? Well, well, I mean, the, 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 the RTE is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a state uh, yeah. media operation. Yeah. You would think that, uh, that they would have a, a positive approach to it. But, mm. I mean, look at... Um, and we think the idea of having uh, state media uh, in principle is so a good it's one. It's, a good one. it's total laziness, yeah. like in a lot of the way. Like when we were in the doll, we used to give out hell. Like you'd have these 40 or 50 journalists there availing the subsidised food and the cheap car park. And, and all they wanted to do was bump into a minister in a card or get a bit of tidbit there. Yeah. And it was in the mutual interest of both the minister and the journalist. The journalists didn't have to do work. They just cover a bit of gossip. And the, the minister kind of felt that they were well in with the media. It was a self-fulfilling sort of reinforcing. And you'd have that one headline. With yeah, the one and that's all it was. There. Meanwhile, yeah. there was loads of work going on, legislation and all of that that they couldn't even join the dots on until it was too late. That's magnified about yeah. a million times over here. It costs money to put people here and locate them here. 
but there is uh, every day on every committee stuff going on here that's impacting on the lives of Irish citizens and no one even knows. We didn't know. We hadn't a clue about this place even after we were elected. Yeah. Like, we didn't even know that the Parliament sits in Strasbourg. It doesn't sit here in Brussels. Like, how mad is that? We were MEPs before we discovered yeah. that lunacy. I think if people in Ireland knew what was going on here, they'd be shocked in some ways and then they'd be it'd be an eye-opener. So there is a massive disconnect that needs to be connected there. Mm. You both kind of touched on about why it's so important for you to come to Europe and why you took the plunge and made uh, put yourselves forward for the elections last year. What about the timing of this? This is now 2020. There's huge things on the agenda with the EU. There's, well, I won't answer things for you, but what is the reason for now coming to Europe rather than five years ago? Well, OK, uh, first of all, we were only elected to the Dáil in 2011, right? Mm. To stand for the second term in 2016 was kind of a natural progression, right? Uh, should we have stood, stayed and stayed, stood for a third one? Well, that's debatable, right? But uh, I actually think that uh, two terms is enough for anyone in the place. Mm. And I don't think anyone should spend any more than two terms out here either. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm not saying I'll even stand the second one, I don't know. Uh, but... Um, uh, you know, you're becoming institutionalised easy enough too in these places, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones at people that have been in the Dáil for more than two terms. But uh, I do have... Uh, I would be uh, critical of people spending their whole life in the place. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a bad idea. Mm. Uh, it means that there's... Uh, first of all, if someone goes in there and spends 30 years in there, I mean, you're keeping young people out of the place, you're keeping new ideas out of the place, mm. um, uh, you're keeping that freshness out mm. of it. Um, I don't think that... You're feeling fresh. Well, I mean, listen, come here. I, I, mean, I'm, 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 um, I, I feel like, uh, like, like, only, like a chap, you know? I'm, I'm just a simple country boy. <laughs> he uh, felt like that when he was at home as well. Yeah, but look, <laughs> I mean... Um, no, no, I mean, I, I am absolutely... Uh, absolutely up for what's going on out here, right? Yeah. And I'm really enjoying it, right? And I, I have to say that we are, it is a lot more work even yeah. than we were doing in the doll, a lot more. Yeah. Uh, we find it's 24 7. And I'm, looking at, I, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying the work that TDs do at home. In fact, uh, as you know, I didn't, uh, neither of us did the parish pump at home, right? Yeah. And uh, while we wouldn't necessarily agree with how uh, uh, your average TD. Uh, engages his energies at home and, mm. you know, pat the parish pump and going to funerals and all that. Uh, I wouldn't, for a second, uh, challenge the fact that they all worked incredibly hard. Mm. We would probably disagree with the direction that they work in. Mm. And we, obviously we were of a mindset that uh, if, if you get elected to a national parliament, you should be a national politician and you're there to legislate. And that was our uh, focus uh, more than anything else. And uh, that you deal with national issues and the truth be told, I mean, I was obviously elected from Wexford, but every issue in Wexford is affected by decisions yeah. made in Dublin. They're not made in Wexford. We don't have local government at home. Yeah. We have very badly funded local administration. administration we don't have yeah. actually local government. Mm. So the decisions are not made in Wexford. They might decide which road will the tar before the next one, but the real decisions are actually made in Dublin. And they decide how much money yeah. uh, Wexford also gets uh, to do anything. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's, we have a very centralised state at home. Uh, one of the most central, centralised states in Europe at present, uh, to be honest. And that's problematic too. Yeah. And I, I think the lack of local government at home means a lack of democracy. Because if people actually just get a vote every five years, but then have no say in how their communities are run, that's not democracy. What's yeah. that got to do with democracy? Yeah. A vote every five years, big fucking deal, like, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, it's... A, no, I mean, we, we're on the record... I'm on the record previously as saying that I don't think anybody should serve more than two times. Now, you could come up against that and say, well, look at what's happening at home. Isn't it really exciting yeah. now with the, the recent general election? And I have to say, we got a great kick out of that. It was brilliant to see the establishment parties of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael finally getting an almighty kick and now the jury is open on where that's going to go. But we don't see the work over here as a contradiction to that. In many ways, it's kind of complementary to the battle that's clearly unfolding at home, which is about getting genuine representation for ordinary people. It's the same battle that's underway 
in the primaries in America with Bernie Sanders, isn't it? It's about trying to break through the logjam of the political establishment that's there. So, yeah. And we think there's fertile ground for us to and do that it. here. Like it's an exciting conversation happening at home now also internationally with the upcoming elections in the US and stuff, but also here is going to be a really important place and a uh, place to be working the next five years. Loads in terms of, of climate change, the yeah. environment, militarism and the yeah. now move to sort of putting centre stage military funding on defence, so-called. Uh, the amount of money going on reinforcing Europe's borders, keeping out the refugees while being engaged in the wars that made them refugees in the first place, yeah. couldn't make it up. All these things are certain here and we are at the coalface. The exposure that we get here, like on some of the committees that we're on with top NATO generals, you get to see the thinking and it's a crying shame that the message isn't getting home and we're going to try and work to see yeah, how we do I mean, that, you know? When... when uh when the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, was over here last Friday week and he was uh, beating the drum about, oh, they're cutting our cap money yeah. and they're asking us to contribute more money. This is not on. We've got to do something about this. Yeah. He didn't, or the media, yeah. didn't actually say, well, hold on a minute, where is the money going then instead? Yeah. And in actual fact, uh, the, in the increased investment in... Uh, Militarization and the drive to militarize Europe to a crazy level mm. is a big part of that equation, and that's where a whole lot of the money is going. Yeah. And keeping out refugees, migrants, and protecting our borders, huge money has been spent mm. in that area. Uh, for what? I mean, we helped to bomb their homes to make refugees of them, mm. so that they have to have to leave their communities that they never wanted to leave, and they come to Europe to try and make a living and survive, We're shooting and, them on the and, borders, and to feed yeah. their families. Yeah. And and then we put up we put up walls then to try and stop them coming in after we destroyed their homes. Mm. But I mean, it, it needs to be connected. The cap money is going to be reduced. Now, obviously, we want the, we want the cap money used in a better way, and we want it to go towards helping uh, the smaller farmer to move away from chemicals and pesticides. Um, but the overall budget uh, is being cut and uh, it needs to be uh, made clear to the people where the money is going. Yeah, so these are all things we're going to talk on about on, these, on this podcast. We're going to go through everything from... We'll do every two weeks, look to do a, a podcast on climate, on militarisation, on these issues that you're dealing with and working on all oh, the time. Oh, we want to go so into the details on that details, because it's yeah. the same... Uh, companies who are benefiting from the military expenditure and the yeah. arms expenditure are benefiting from the border controls as well. And, yeah. you know, if you look at it, I suppose housing was the dominant issue in the election at home. But actually, one of the excuses that the government hides behind is the EU fiscal rules exactly. and all of that. So neoliberalism at the heart of the European Union, which is dictating a lot of what's happening in our economy at home. To us, that's key. And we do want to dig deeper in the coming weeks and months on a lot yeah. of that stuff, bring on people, meet them, talk about it in greater yeah. depth. So that's sure. a bit of a taster of what's kind of coming up in these podcasts to so kind of see what we're doing. Uh, today's episode's about the Parliament in itself, the European Parliament, what you guys are doing here. Um, and your first impressions, you kind of told us already, you came in here, you didn't even know what was happening. Do you think you've got I the hang of things clue. now? Or <laughs> <laughs> do you know how things work? Do you, know, do you think it's been um, a big shock or...? Listen, um, yeah. there's, there's not a week goes by where we learn new things, yeah. right? And it's not just about the subject matter that we're working with, but just in how the place actually functions. Uh, it is incredibly bureaucratic, uh, and you just have to kind of find your way around how, how they do things and uh, make it work best for yourself. And it is a learning process, and uh, we are still learning. But having said that, look, at, we've learned an awful lot very quickly, yeah. and um, we're... we're um, we're not as green as we were uh, when we arrived, obviously, right? But um, uh, would, would I say that we've learned anything that, we, that needs to be known in terms of how the structures work here? No, we haven't. We've still plenty to learn. Uh, but um, we're, uh, we have a good appetite. Yeah. It's a mad place, right? And it's very hard to explain to people who aren't here what it's like. And, I mean, as I said earlier... We hadn't a clue what this place was like before we arrived and we, we couldn't even make our way hardly from the airport the first day uh, to, to find the parliament. But I suppose the first thing is the scale of it. It's very hard to explain to people the scale of it. It's absolutely immense. But one of the examples that somebody gave to us, which struck with me, that in the parliament in Strasbourg, on any one day, there can be a thousand people translating. Now, there's nowhere on the planet, which has that number of languages, that number of people coming together. And that inevitably involves a scale of bureaucracy beyond anything we would know. Not all of it necessary, for sure. 
But at the same time, when you look at what they're trying to do, not all of it is bad. So we would make the point that a lot of the work here, unlike, say, in an Irish parliament or another national parliament, is very adversarial, winner takes all, you show a hands, majority rules. The whole way of thinking here is completely different. It's based on consensus, agreement, which obviously takes a hell of a lot longer, is incredibly more bureaucratic, and you end up with something that not everybody is mad about, but kind of everybody can live with. Is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Mm, not sure, but it's a completely different way of operating. Yeah. You know, when you come here first, you have to join a political group. Uh, you can't really stand in your own right to get access to speaking time and all of that. So we ended up, before we stood, we said we didn't know what group we joined. We said we'd be open that if there weren't new groups formed, that the GUE NGL, which is the United Left, not United, but in any case, that's another story. You could do an episode on that. Uh, Nordic Green Alliance, uh, we said they'd probably be the best fit. Uh, and it's a confederal <laughs> group. Are, so it's the, a confederal yeah. group was the biggest reason because we had a number of discussions with group. We ended up picking them, but like it's not an ideal home, really, you know, is it? Uh, there's seven groups out here, right? And yeah. as far as I can see, every group is a mixed bag. Yeah. And yeah. There's, there's good and bad and indifferent in all the groups. Yeah. Uh, look, at, we make the best of, of the group we're in, uh, but we have, we have serious issues with how it operates and uh, we think it could be organised a lot better. But having said that... Um, we probably we still probably wouldn't uh, be picking a no. different yeah. group. So no. the group has only 39 MEPs. It's very yeah, small. We're the smallest group. It's less yeah. than it's now five percent of all the MEPs in the whole parliament. How many are there now after Brexit? Have the clue. Over so, 700. So yeah. So there were 751 <laughs> before yeah. Brexit. Now there's 705. Really? So that's a huge change. But also in terms of your impact, I suppose, because you were two TDs in the doll, the 160. TDs in total, now you're, what, two out of 175? Uh, well, now no, I can no, tell no, you now, everyone knows Mr Wallace uh, now. It's hard to yeah, hide him out of even No, but I mean, exactly that, yeah. no, I don't find the numbers remotely intimidating. No, yeah. right? me I mean, uh, to be honest, um, I would say that um, um, a huge portion of them, you wouldn't put them out of fear, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the truth is that uh, in speaking time in the plenary, the two of us are in the top 10 yeah. out, out of what was 750. So, I mean, look at, uh, we, we're... We're pretty confident that we're making a mark out here. Uh, maybe not with the Irish media, but uh, <laughs> we are making a mark at European level. So the, well, yeah. it is even, and there is, it's kind of partly an Irish thing. Like, you know, Oshin, who works with Mick in his office, made the point about networking, and they all waffle on here about networking, and everybody has a little business card and all this. We don't, you know. But that he was at a class about networking, like, and they were kind of, you know, telling people, and all the Germans were feverishly writing down notes as to how to network, and Oshin kind of made the point. She's Sure, we're Irish, that's what we do. We go up, we talk to people, <laughs> and we're kind of we would be fairly well known. We know a lot of people from the different groups and the different committees we'd dominate in, in our committees. We'd be both well known in the committees that we're on, even though we're only yeah. here a bit, and as Mick says, in the plenary, and we're not intimidated by any of them. So, so you're making that impact even with the different numbers, but um, and you said you have a bit of a reputation. What kind of reputation do you think you have now? What are you known for? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I suppose Mick made the most ways by calling the unelected uh, leader or not of Venezuela the unelected gobshite. The what? Uh, that is Juan Guaido <laughs> that he called him out in uh, Venezuela. Do you not agree that the recognition of Guaido is an absolute embarrassment to anyone that has to occupy this chamber and it's a disgrace on, on the part of the member states of Europe that so many of them have, have, have recognised unelected gobshite. How was that translated? No, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it went down a tree. In fact, it was it was it was amazing uh, how <laughs> yeah. quick the uh, the president chaired the uh, the meeting at the time the, the session at the time. <laughs> how quickly he got in his earpiece. Yeah. that's actually a derogatory term, yeah. and you better reprimand him for that. Yeah, Mr. Wallace, Mr. Wallace. Now you did use the word gobshite, sir, and uh, I, I would re reprimand you over that. Mr. Kenyon's now to the floor. But look at, uh, I would say we're making far more of a mark by straight talking, yeah. just yeah. calling it as it is. Uh, we're we're merciless and we're fearless, and uh, we just go for it. Yeah. And that's what we're making our mark on, rather than any particular issue or anything particular we're saying. Yeah. We don't play games. Uh, we take this job very serious, 
and we want to make a difference. Uh, we didn't come over to, uh, to the EU to kiss ass. We came over here to actually change it. Yeah. It's become too much of a neoliberal club. It, uh, it, 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 it creates an opportunity for big business to flourish uh, uh, in preference to the interest of the ordinary citizen. And we want to reverse that. If the European project, and we believe in the European project, the idea of Europeans working together makes sense. But there'll be more Brexits if they don't change their tune. If they don't start representing the ordinary people mm. better, if, they, if, if they're going to continue, even just take something like agriculture, right? We, we, we've made millionaires out of dairy farms, right? But we've lost, Ireland has lost 140,000 family farms since 1970. Yeah. That's a direct result of government policy, EU policy, right? If we continue down that line, if we continue just looking after the big guy, right? The European project is dead. Right? Mm. But we want. We didn't come over here to, to uh, finish it. We came over here to change it. Mm. And we are adamant that it's possible to make it better than it is. So do people know you as the, the bad kids in the back of the class kind of thing already in the parliament? Or is it well, I mean, is that what I foresee trouble is about? Is that what we're getting at? Or is it... Yeah, let me look at the constructive mean, trouble, yeah. you could call it. We haven't really got yeah. the back row. It's a bit big for the back row, <laughs> isn't it? So we wouldn't we be lost in the back row. But I mean, look, at that's probably an exaggeration. But I, I think in, in our committees, we've certainly made an impact. And in the plenary, we've made an impact as well. And Mick's right, we join the dots where there are others don't. Like if you take it, I'm on the Libe Committee, which is the equivalent of the Justice Committee. And a huge amount of time is spent on migration and the challenges to migration, which is huge on, on the European mainland. Uh, as it were, more so. But none of them, and there's actually a Liberal majority on that committee, so actually we'd be passing very good policy in terms of refugees being welcomed, that they're a small number in terms of the overall poverty. But those same members and same parties never join the dots in the foreign policy bit where European countries are involved in the circumstances that made these people refugees in the first place mm. and the whole militarisation and that. Same on the climate change stuff. They put forward a Green New Deal and all that, which is based on growth. It's absolute rubbish. Like, I'm on the Transport Committee. I come from a constituency. I was an airport worker. I love aviation. But it's unsustainable to have a Europe where people are flying from Amsterdam to Brussels when there is an alternative in terms of high-speed rail. So rather than, you know, incentivising people and giving them frequent flyer miles and concessions, we should be penalising mm. the heavy flyers. And instead, the European Union and Ireland at the helm, our last government anyway, doesn't tax uh, kerosene fuel, doesn't put VAT on tickets and all of that stuff. In actual fact, we're subsidising aviation when we should be yeah. subsidising railways. So it's kind of all that stuff, like, yeah. that we join the dots where others don't. Yeah, exactly. There's loads of things where, yeah, you can see this huge yeah. areas of potential for change and huge areas for really breaking just, just, with the just neoliberalism. Go, going back yeah. to the, the environment issue, right? Yeah. I mean, we've a Green New Deal. Oh, yeah. great. Oh, yeah, yeah we're going to sort That's everything episode, out. That's absolutely. We're, yeah. we're, uh, we're going to sort everything out. And we've just given approval for 29 yeah. uh, gas projects. Yeah. Gas as a transition fuel. Yeah. We're going to now... I mean, if it goes ahead, right, we're going to... Bring frack gas. It's the it's the dirtiest way that any fossil fuel was ever taken out of the ground. Mm. We're going to take frack gas from America, bring it five thousand kilometres across yeah. the Atlantic, to bring it to a place in in the Shannon Estuary yeah. to make liquefied natural gas, and a lot of it will go towards data centres that we shouldn't even be touching. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come it's here. If, if they're serious about a green, a, 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 if they're really serious about the Green New Deal, how in God's name can they then turn around? and give the stamp of approval to uh, liquefied natural gas, yeah. filthy fossil fuel, that will lock us in mm. to a filthy fossil fuel for 30 to 40 years. Mm. How can you justify and that? And why isn't it being scrutinised exactly, at all? Because RTE did a programme that we just... I, we came running out of the vote that had taken place in the Parliament in Strasbourg the last time I did that sort of midnight hour RTE programme. RTE didn't even know that that vote had taken place. Mm. They just wanted to talk about Brexit instead of, like, Brexit is history, it's finished, like, do you know what I mean? And uh, they, they didn't deal with that. They didn't even know the vote had taken place or yeah. what way the Irish MEPs had voted on. So we need to and seriously change that. This place can that. be a house of contradictions and it can be saying one thing, yeah. it can be greenwashing here and the way it's picked up in the media then is just scraping the top of yeah. And when it comes to this thing about... So last plenary session, we had a vote on the PCI list, which is about publicly funded... Uh, energy infrastructure. 
That happened with only 169 MEPs objecting to this because there's fossil fuel projects in it, which not only alone is ludicrous, but when you think of the fact that the last time we had a resolution to declare a climate emergency, there was 469 MEPs declaring this. So yeah. it's a majority. Only 169 of them think that means that we shouldn't be investing in new publicly funded fossil fuel infrastructure. So. This place is really full of yeah. contradictions and we, the thing is we need people to be connecting the dots Completely. and to be showing... And we do need to use these programmes no, to scrutinise yeah. that a lot more, drive it for drink, sure. like. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really... Uh, the inconsistencies are fucking frightening, like, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they need to be highlighted. And you know what? That's where the media come in. Yeah. And I, I, I firmly believe that the media could be such a positive element in how our societies are organised. Yeah. It's you know one what? of the key reasons right? why we but, haven't had but, the type of fundamental change that people yeah, obviously but, desperately but, want. But know? they have the potential then to be useless yeah. as well mm. and, and not uh, if they don't go to that space. And look, we haven't even mentioned, we, we, we spent two days last week at the Julian Assange trial. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to get to that too. Yeah. The, the, the manner in which the mainstream media have abandoned that man, he's in prison and he's facing extradition to the US not for uh, any violent crime, but his crime is for telling the truth about US war crimes. And the media have gone silent on him. So let's go into that. What, I mean, just the two of you were there last week in London at the court. Uh, what was happening with the Assange case? You were there as a witness? As yeah, well, I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is that the idea of us being there as part of an international yeah, monitoring service. mechanism arose out of our election here to the European Parliament when we had an event here last October. Um, with Neil Smeltzer, the UN Special Rapporteur on, on Torture, Bob Carr, former leader of the Labour Party in, in Australia, and others who attended that event or, or participated in it. This is the defining press freedom case of our age, and the fact that it hasn't been picked up by the media is shocking in some ways. Um, so out of that event, um, we decided to set up an international monitoring mechanism, if you like. So we were there as part of that with other MEPs from other countries. We're delighted that through our work and that event, we had representatives from a whole number of European countries and a number of national parliaments across a lot of the political groups in the European Parliament. And I suppose our, our intention of being there is to be part of the hundreds of medics and journalists who've spoken out about this, but make us right, it's it's not enough. Like, I mean, the indictment that the US are looking to extradite Julian Assange is, is based on the WikiLeaks um, leaks around the Afghan and, and um, Iraq wars. That's what he's been tried on, 18 counts, so supposedly on espionage. But if you look at the details of those charges, they're normal journalistic practice. So what we have here now is journalism on trial. The bitter irony that a journalist who exposes information which called those in power to account, namely around the war crimes in Afghanistan, in Iraq, which WikiLeaks exploded. I mean, they could never have got away with this prosecution if it was in 2020, which is when these revelations, because you had a, an ignited anti-war movement that was still sort of fresh in people's minds at that stage, um, they wouldn't have got away with this. And instead, now we have Julian Assange facing a potential of 175 years in jail for normal practices. It was yeah, all about... He, well, it was about yeah. protecting... He, yeah. It was about his dealings with Chelsea Manning and the steps he took to protect Chelsea Manning as his source. So the only charge is the, the sort of one of computer crimes or whatever, which was really using technology to protect his oh, source. In 2015, mm. Obama looked at, at going for extradition. And he actually backed off because he said that he, they, yeah. the legal advice was that they couldn't actually do him on the publishing charge without doing the New York Times and the Guardian yeah. as well. Yeah. That, was just, that was the summary of it, right? Mm. Now, in, in fair look, we're saying that it's not getting the proper coverage from the mainstream media. And listen, that's not to say that there is journalists have covered it. And uh, uh, I only saw yesterday where Mick Clifford, fair play to him, actually covered it yesterday in an article in The Examiner, mm. right? And, uh, uh, you know, that's great that he's, that, uh, that he's going to that space. But we just need so many more people to actually go there.
Mm. It's beginning to change and that is good and that's the message we took out because last week in the court it was just the opening, I suppose, charges and defence arguments and stuff. The trial is, is adjourned until May when all the witnesses will be called. It'll go into June uh, or July. But I mean, one of the things we were concerned about was, and it got some prominence, not enough, was the conditions that Julian Assange has been held under. He's in Belmarsh High Security uh, Prison in order for him to come to the court, he was strip-searched on a number of occasions each day, handcuffed multiple times. His defence counsel had very grave difficulties in accessing him in advance of the case at lunch. He was kept in a glass cage, in essence, at the back of the court. Now, his level of hearing or ability to hear that trial was kind of like ours as well. We were behind us glass screen either in the public gallery or in the media area out the back and you couldn't make this up I mean this is yeah. like English justice prides itself on being great just, just he couldn't even speak or hear like yeah. for the record right he was stripped he was stripped searched twice on Monday he was handcuffed on 11 different occasions mm. right uh, and he was put in five different uh isolation cells. Mm. I, this is a guy who has never done anything violent in his whole goddamn life. Yeah. Right? He's been treated as the, a terrorist. The, like he is. I mean, yeah. uh, it's un, unnatural, right? And the big problem now is, of course, listen, whatever this judge comes up with, uh, with her verdict, this is a district court, there'll be a verdict. He'll either win or he'll lose. Either way, it'll go to the High Court mm. in appeal. Whoever loses is going to appeal. Then it ends up in the High Court. Whoever loses Supreme in the High Court, court yeah. is going to go to Supreme, going yeah. appeal, it'll go to the Supreme Court. Right. So, in the meantime, He's still rotting away in jail. Mm. You know what? If he's in jail for another two years, it's 50-50 whether he actually lives through it. Yeah. Yeah. He is deteriorating dramatically. And the UN uh, man responsible for uh, torture has said that the treatment of Julian Assange in Belmarsh is a form of torture. Mm. Why aren't everybody shouting it, from the rooftops I mean, we, we raised this when we were in the doll. Like, we went to visit Julian Assange in, in the embassy in 2012 and we never would have thought at that time that he'd still be incarcerated and even worse incarcerated. He's spent about now, between all of the house arrests and in the embassy and all of that, he's spent about 12, 13 years incarcerated. Mm. It's absolutely incredible. And not just like the mainstream media, but even the left internationally has been really slow in taking up this case and realising the seriousness of it. It is criminalising journalism. I mean, we made a lot of points at the start about how poor the media are, and that's true. They would be if you had a real media that scrutinised those in power, how powerful that would be. And then you weigh it up with this case where you did have an individual and an organisation who set themselves up to challenge those in authority, which is supposed to be what all democracy and freedom of the press is about, and yet he's facing 175 years. This is a, a, a cause that everybody, the left, have been disgraceful in mm. Ireland, absolutely, but even in Europe, because uh, you'd expect more of them. But the right wing, anybody who claims to be a Democrat should be shouting from the rooftops about this. And Mick is right, like, he, he needs to be put out on bail now. Like, uh, Listen, uh, he wouldn't be suffering like he is if the media were doing their job yeah. properly. And just to bring it back home again, right, the failure of the media at home to actually really address what was going on in NAMA has cost the Irish state so much money. One of the few journalists, there was a couple of journalists that covered it well, right? Yeah. Ronald Quinlan in The Independent actually was actually very good on it. Do you know what happened to him? He got shifted aside, yeah. took him away from it. And why didn't the media, why didn't the print media cover NAMA properly? Because they had a vested interest. NAMA had, had so many tentacles, there were so much involved, there were so, there were so many agencies there around real estate, advertising, uh, Accountants, there's so, so many people who actually buy advertising from the media had a vested interest in staying quiet. And the government were not held to account. And sadly, sadly, and uh, let, uh, on the 26th of... I, I, I revealed on the 2nd of July 2015 that millions went into a bank, a bank, an island man bank account that was a fixer's fee uh, from Cerberus for the Project uh, Eagle in Northern Ireland, right? That, and RTE gave it great coverage. I did it on leaders' questions, I'd say, about eight times between then and the 26th of November. And they covered it every time. Mm. On the 26th of November, 
I went for the juggler and I named some people that I knew were directly involved in malpractice, serious malpractice. Mm -hmm. They covered it at lunchtime. They did not cover it at that even, 26th November 2015. And you know what? I was never quoted on NAMA again on RTE News after that. That was the end. In fairness, <laughs> Mary Wilson on Drive Time yeah. uh, continued to give me airtime on it since over the years, because I, yeah. I, I covered it every year since then, right? But the failure of the media to adequately hold NAMA to account, to hold the government to account for not doing their job and holding and seeing that NAMA was done properly has cost the state so much and there's a as has the children's hospital yeah. and when and Mick was on the record as that well ahead and then we had a big revelation of Alan Kelly says it's going to cost too much money about a year after Mick had given a definitive sort of version on it I actually and explained the media to him. don't flip and join the yeah. dots I on explained it. to him yeah. why it was going to cost more mm. and why the contract was just going to keep escalating. Yeah. Right? It's in black and white. It's in the contract. Yeah. The contract is all wrong. They could have revisited it. And the media should have held their feet to the fire a lot longer and yeah. closer. And they could have forced that government uh, to actually revisit the contract. Uh, the media did give it some coverage, but not enough. Mm. And they did not hold their feet close enough to the fire. And mm. the government got away with it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So there you have it. That's a taster of what's ahead for the next few weeks with our podcast. We're going to be diving into loads of different themes. Well, can I things. say, Jim, I mean, yeah. we would like to develop this with people, yeah. like, you know what I mean? And we would, if we can, you know, as it becomes known, we'd like to interact with people in the public and we'd like people to come over here to visit us for us Absolutely. to exchange yeah. with me, people, and that's something we should explore as well. But like, yeah, which, which, we're going to have which, speakers which, on, we're going to have people coming yeah. over to visit, to interview, to, to go well, to different we, topics. We would also like to get feedback yeah. from people yeah. and say, listen, why aren't you talking about this or yeah. that? Because uh, we don't want to be talking about something that people are not interested yeah. in. Yeah. Right. So do get in touch with us on Twitter. Totally. We have, we have yeah, um, yeah. Mick and Claire's own Twitter page that they are regularly on, but then we also have an at i for c trouble Twitter page at the moment. So that's where we'll put out the podcasts. You can get in touch to tell us what you want us to talk about, what uh, topics you want us and to talk about. And why we're, on we're well. very critical of the yeah. EU as an institution, uh, as an organisation or organisations. Yeah. We're very pro-European. Actually, we're totally international. We're beyond Europe. We think all men and women across the globe should live in harmony and develop as much connections as possible. But there are schemes here where the European Union, where people can come out to visit, yeah. groups who wouldn't normally interface, and we think it's well worth seeing. So while we're here and we might be critical of the institutions, we feel it's very important that people interface with them. So if there are groups who'd like to come over and visit, we'd like them to come and get in contact with us as well, because we've the facility to organise that and the Parliament covers a lot of the expenses. We're here, as Mick said earlier, we're very conscious that we were elected at the people of Ireland, and we want to be their voice so we want to know what they're thinking what issues they think and we want them to come over maybe as well. the first one is a bunch of journalists we should bring over as part of a visitor group show them be around. A, short, a short list <laughs> now I'd say we'd have to be Clifford on the moon anyway <laughs> again that's uh, so the Twitter page again send in your questions your thoughts your topics anything so it's at I foresee trouble that's the name of the podcast if you don't get the pun it's a slow burner, isn't it, Claire? <laughs> Took a while, but not with me. It, it gets didn't. there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you can see the the podcast is a kind of structured anarchy of conversation, but send through what you want, and yeah, we'll get on it. So that's it. Thanks a million for listening in, and yeah, see you next time for the next podcast.